everybody. Welcome back to the Everyday Theology Podcast. This is episode two. My name is Ian Stamps, and I'm joined, as always, by Guy Parkinson, the host of the podcast. Guy, welcome. Thank you. This is fun. Yeah. Hey, yeah, I, I loved the first episode. Yeah. We got some good feedback. Hey, people are actually listening. For now. That's always good. Yeah. So thank you for uh, for doing that. So what's on the docket for today? Well, you are starting Acts here in January, which is That's right. it's going to be a fascinating discussion. A lot of stuff going on. Holy Spirit uh, really makes a move in this book. He so. does. He does. Absolutely. I think it'll be a, a wild journey. Um, you know, we, we started this week and we'll be in it for a couple of years. So yeah. it's going to take us a while. Acts is a big book. Um, a couple it, of years. It's going to take a couple yeah. of years. You know, I remember yeah. you saying something about, uh, I think it was MacArthur. How much time did he spend in, was it Mark? Uh, I mean, he, he spent uh, years and years and years in, in the Gospels. Yeah. I think Luke took him 10 years, something like that. Uh, don't worry. We're, we're not going to go. We're not going to go that route. I'm not John MacArthur. Uh, I'm not going to try to be either. But one, Acts is a big book. Two, it deserves our dwelling attention. Yeah here because of the greatness of its message and, and, and what it's calling us to, this is going to be beneficial to us. You know, uh, what? so this t- the type of preaching that you're doing in this, what, what is that called? Where, where you go verse by verse as it's opposed called, to the topical? Yeah, it's called sequential exposition. So expository preaching uh, is, is, is a kind of preaching, I, th- I think the only real form of, of true biblical preaching that takes a text uh, you know, a section of verses where the the point of the sermon is the point of the text. Right. So the, the text dictates uh, what the sermon is about, even how the sermon is formed. You know, uh, the, the sermon f- you know, follows the outline of, of the text itself. Um, and then sequential uh, exposition is the sequence of just walking through a book of the Bible. So that's what we'll be doing uh, for this time as we're just simply walking through uh, the, the, the book of Acts passage by passage, um, mostly verse by verse, uh, walking through all of this. Um, and, and that's in opposition to what's called topical preaching. Uh, topical preaching starts with a topic. It doesn't start with a text. Right. It starts with a topic. And then Based on whatever topic the preacher wants to talk about or is most relevant to the crowd, they then go to the Bible and find some verses, typically many pulled out of context, that back up what the preacher wants to say. It's it's the preacher setting the agenda or it's the audience setting the agenda. Expository preaching lets God set the agenda. You got nowhere to hide. Yeah, yeah, the text sets the agenda. I, I can't skip. Any texts, you know, when you when you do that, if you come to a hard passage and you skip it, everybody knows that you skipped it. Everybody it, knows you're a coward. You can get a lot of misinterpretation also. I mean, we're going to get to the part where the speaking in tongues happens. And I know yeah. in church yeah. history there is a lot of uh, misinterpretation of what that actually means. Absolutely. So that is going to be a fun discussion. Yeah. You know, the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost in chapter 2. There's this great miracle. We're not going to skirt that. Mm. We're going to come right at, this is what actually happened. This, yeah. this is what this is, and this is why that view of it is wrong. This is why that view of it is wrong. This is what the Bible actually teaches uh, about this. And, and again, it, it's, it's letting the text do what the text is supposed to do. Yeah. 
I had a friend uh, tell me one time, he's like, our church doesn't, doesn't believe in expositional preaching because we, be, we believe that the Holy Spirit will lead us into the text. And yeah. I thought to myself, isn't that entire book? Inspired by the yeah, Holy see, that, that that's such a a, a false argument yeah. uh, that oh you, you you should just get up there and let the Holy Spirit lead you. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I think that's a false view of how the Holy Spirit leads. So you're telling me that the Holy Spirit can't guide me as I'm studying. Yeah. Uh, how come the Holy Spirit can only work when you're shooting from the hip? Yeah. How, how come that is more spiritual than I did the research, I did the study, here's what's going on with the text. I'm honoring context or and genre, the, the laws of hermeneutics of how to properly interpret mm-hmm. uh, biblical texts. And the fact of the matter is, this is Holy Spirit inspired. I'm not. So me shooting from the hip and making stuff up or trying to you know, put some thoughts together in the shower on Sunday morning, that's not preaching. Right. Uh, that's doing some sort of motivational talk and baptizing it and trying to make it Christian. That's not Holy Spirit anything. So that kind of gets into the whole exegesis style versus eisegesis style. Yeah, yeah. So let's define those terms. Sure, yeah. Uh, So exegesis is is the process by which you pull out of, ex is the Greek prefix for out. Mm -hmm. You're pulling out the meaning of the text. Eisegesis, ice is into. You're, You're putting your meaning into the text. You're reading something into the text that's not there. I'm not interested in what I think the text says. I'm more interested no. in what, and to me that yeah. seems self-evident, but and, not for everybody. And the audience shouldn't be interested in what you think mm-hmm. about that either. Um, you know, when we, when we stand up, it, it is, when I'm on that stage on a Sunday morning, it, it is not my place to tell the audience what I think or what my opinions are. They shouldn't care about those things. I shouldn't want to impress that on the audience. They need to hear from God. Mm -hmm. And there's only one way for that to happen. I go to the text. Uh, Because expository preaching, expositional preaching, whatever you want to call it, um, it really stems from your theology of the Bible. What do you believe about the Bible? So if you believe... Uh, that the Bible is inerrant, it is without error, that it's inspired, it is from God, which we believe, then that means God put every single word in this book that's in here, and he wants us to know it as his revelation of himself, revelation of his ways. And, And if all that's true, and it is, therefore, the best, the, I would argue, the only right way to preach it is to go text by text because God put this text here. And shouldn't that be fascinating? It ought to be. That it should be. You know, that ought to be enough. Yeah. Um, the thing that, that God ought to be en- spoke. Yes. It, right. Really, that, that should stop the argument. Is there yeah. any motivational uh, talk inside uh, the book? that, Or is that strictly from the eisegesis perspective? There's, there's a bunch that motivates. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely to hear who God is, what he's done for you in Christ, I mean, the gospel motivates. The Holy Spirit motivates. Uh, I mean, you, you don't have to, you don't have to tell some tearjerker, emotionally manipulative story to inspire people. That's that's not my job. Yeah. The Holy Spirit does that. So I preach the text, and and let the text do the work. Right. This book is inspired. Uh, so, you know, I, I've I've told other preachers. I've told people in our church. You know, when when we're gathered together. 
the only authoritative thing that is ever said is when someone is reading a passage of scripture. Nobody gets to stand up and say, God told me, uh, or you know, Here, here's what I think about this political event mm -hmm. or this cultural event or sports or, or whatever. Uh, there, there's a place for all of those things. That's fine. They're, they're, they're not bad things. They're, they're good things. But that's not the, what's to happen in that time slot on Sunday morning. Right. This is God gets to speak because he's addressing his people. And this is how he speaks. This is how he speaks. Yep. He speaks through his word. So th this is why uh, you know, we don't practice a, a lot of the you know, traditional charismatic views that happen in, in so many churches where, well, you know, I, I was praying to that and if you know, the Holy Spirit told me or, or God said, um, that, that's not authoritative because I don't know if that's actually true. Right. Maybe. And if it was, it yeah. should actually be added to that book. Yeah, 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 right. Right. So we don't believe in this extra inspiration from the Holy Spirit. The Bible's enough. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. Mm. Seems like that's in, the, in there somewhere. It, it? it absolutely yeah. is. Uh, so and we'll even touch on that some a bit in the book of Acts. Yeah. Uh, we, we need the gospel. All else is, is details. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So let's jump in. I mean, I, 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 so Luke basically ends his previous book. Yep. Luke. Kind mm -hmm. of nice little title there. Yes. Yes. Um, well, it's, it's what happens when you write a gospel. Yeah. Your name gets attached to it. So there's 24 chapters in Luke, correct? Yep. Yep. And he ends at um, a huge crescendo. Um, he does. Yeah, Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, he ascends. And then Acts comes in. Acts 1 and Luke 24 overlap. Mm -hmm. They're... Yeah, they're a retelling of, of the same events uh, so that you know, we know as the reader, hey, these things go together. And, uh, and now he continues. He says in Acts 1-1, the gospel of Luke is all that Jesus began to do and teach. The book of Acts is simply the continuation mm -hmm. of what Jesus continues to do and continues to teach through the church, uh, through the apostles, through the leaders as the church is uh, started in Acts 2 and multiplies around the world. This is still the work of Jesus, even though he's not physically bodily present anymore. He's present through the Holy Spirit in dwelling the lives of the apostles and the new believers, and he's still getting his work done in the world. Yeah, in uh, Luke 23, here we have these Jewish people who have... <laughs> witnessed Jesus' miracles, saw him claiming to be God, and now all of a sudden they've turned their back on him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then you've got Luke 24. You've got the death, burial, and all of a sudden Luke just kind of yeah. closes it. So now we jump into Acts, um, and the apostles are kind of waiting. Yep. What are they doing during this yeah. time? Of, of waiting. Here they are. Uh, and again, the opening verses of the book of Acts are so helpful in that they, they fill in this gap of, of what's, what's happened uh, over the course of that time. And again, the Holy Spirit falls uh, in, in chapter 2 and everything explodes yeah. from that point on. Title of Acts. What, what, uh, I always thought that was kind of a strange title. What what exactly does yeah. it mean? Well, so you know, the, the, the full title is the Acts of the Apostles, um, that this is what 
you know, these leaders of the church have now done uh, in the world. I, I think it, it could be appropriately titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. uh, through the Apostles. That certainly could be the case because you don't want to leave the Apostles out of it. I Who mean, came they, up with that title, the Acts? No, yeah. this was it's just, just old. Yeah, this was just added. First, second century yeah, church. Just yeah. added later. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah no big deal uh, to all of that. It's just so that we we understand what's happening. Um, in fact, if you read scholars on the Book of Acts, each of them kind of presents their own title for the book. Mm -hmm. uh, that well, you know, it, it it could be Acts of the Apostles, but maybe it could be this or this, and then they all are quoting one another. None of that really ultimately uh, matters. Right. Uh, but, uh, it, yeah, it, it's, it's the acts either of the Holy Spirit, uh, of the apostles getting this done. Mm -hmm. I found the dating of acts interesting when I was going through this. Uh, how they can, uh, the way I view it, early 60s, is that kind of what you, you think? Uh, yeah, so it's, it's going to begin, um, you, I mean, it's going to end there. Mm -hmm. It's going to begin uh, right after Jesus. So if you want to take the traditional, you know, Jesus was born in year zero, which there's a couple year right. you know, error allowance on either side of that. So let's say he dies and rises in 33-ish AD. Okay. Um, so that's what's happening right here in Acts 1. So you're, you're 40 days after that. So you're, you're talking mid-30s uh, at, at that point. And the book of Acts spans 35 years from start to finish. So, you know, you're talking, you know, mid-60s, 70-ish. Uh, it's going to end before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem right. in and 70 And that's how AD. I've heard that they can kind of date that. Yep. Since Luke doesn't mention the destruction yep. of the temple in 70, then it, they... If it had that happened... Would be a very, yeah. That would be something that they would want to account for. Because he absolutely would have mentioned it. Because Jesus was somewhat predicting the destruction and yep. the, yep. the judgment on the Jews. He, he did. So if that yep. would have happened, mm -hmm. then Luke would have mentioned it. Yep. Not to mention the death of Paul. He probably would have mentioned the death of Paul. A which, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, which, which comes later... Uh, after the book of Acts closes, you know, Acts ends on a, a pretty good note. I mean, Paul is in house arrest mm -hmm. uh, in Rome. He's finally made it all the way to Rome. That was his goal. Right. Uh, because, again, he's the, the global apostle to take it to the nations, uh, as opposed to Peter, who's an apostle to the Jews. Paul's an apostle to the Gentiles. And it, it, to get it out, well, if he can get it to Rome, Rome's the center of the world. Yeah. So if he can get it to there, it can it, it can spread. And the end of the book of Romans, he wants to even go to Spain. Uh, I mean, he he explicitly lays out that's his plan. And you know, for them, that's the that's the end of the the world. Uh, you know, they they live and die. They don't know that the Americas exist. They haven't been this far. Columbus wasn't born. Uh, yet. No, no. Uh, so they're they're not knowing global mm -hmm. mapping at, at this point. They're just trying to get around their own empire yeah. and, uh, and take the gospel there, which they do. And it ends with him, uh, again, under house arrest, but he's unhindered uh, is the word that the text uses. He's unhindered in his sharing of the gospel. He's able to receive visitors. Uh, so his gospel work continues there. Everything changes when uh, Emperor Nero burns Rome to the ground. Uh, once Nero sets the fires in Rome, um, he's so hated, uh, he blames the Christians for the fires. Um, so that sparks, no pun intended, that, that sparks a wave of persecution against the church. 
And in the fallout of that persecution, because of Nero, um, within a couple of years of the, the fires of Rome, uh, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul are both executed uh, in, in the mid to late 60s. So, but it forces the church to... If, if Paul had not done the work that he did, planting these churches, we find out from his letters, he's appointed elders at all of these churches. If he hadn't done that, I mean, the, the movement, the global movement of Christianity is on Paul's shoulders. But he doesn't let it be that way. Mm-hmm. He, he empowers local elders to lead these local congregations because he's gone. He's not staying anywhere longer than, you know, maybe a couple of years, right. uh, that, that kind of a thing. So the elders are the ones who in char- are in charge of the churches. Paul's writing the letters uh, and, and all of that to correct doctrinal issues and lifestyle issues. But outside of that, it's the elders who are in charge. So when Paul now dies, all the churches are fine because they're being led by local elders. Yep. If he wouldn't have done that, we don't know what would have happened to the movement. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Theophilus. Um, yeah. Who's this guy? You know, people have, have laid out uh, other views in the past. Uh, some would say, uh, because his name, Theophilus, Theos, God, Phileo, to love, um, it means loved by God that, oh, Theophilus represents all believers, all who are loved by God. Well, that's a sweet little sentiment. Um, the problem with that is Theophilus was a common name in the Roman Empire. It's oh, very common. Yeah. And so the, the fact that, one, you've got the name that's common. Two, he's assigned a title in Luke 1, most excellent Theophilus. The, the title, most excellent, was a common title in the Roman Empire. Uh, so... Why in the world would Luke have assigned a Roman title to all believers? That just doesn't make sense. So the likelihood is Theophilus is a real person um, who's a believer, uh, who wants to know the certainty of what he's been taught. That's what Luke 1 says. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's why Luke Luke writes this. He researches, does the orderly account, eyewitness testimony, so that you can have certainty of what you've been taught. So likely... Theophilus has commissioned Luke uh, and is funding this project to research, travel, and, and write all of this. It was a very common practice. A wealthy patron would, would, would fund all of this. Uh, so all this is getting done. Do you think at the beginning Theophilus may have been somewhat skeptical? And, it's certainly possible. And so in, at the beginning of Luke, yeah. he pays this guy. A, yep. Because Luke is also thought of as being intelligent. Oh yeah, he's highly um, intelligent. And they 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 they, they mention that because of the the language that he uses and the way he writes. The, um, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts are some of the best Greek in the entire New Testament. Mm. So uh, Luke is intelligent, and that also points to the fact that Theophilus is high ranking. Uh, so he's he's writing to an audience that is smart. Uh, that is highly intelligent, that knows language. Because, um, again, you can look at some of the, the Greek back and forth. Um, you know, Second Peter is some of the worst Greek. Really? Because Peter is a fisherman. Mm-hmm. So he's just, you know, he, he's, he's writing whatever as a, 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 a normal average guy. So that would be like me writing versus you writing. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's what that means. It would be. Yeah, yeah. well... Again, you, you've got Luke who is brilliant in his usage of the language. He knows how to 
to get his point across. And even reading it in English, that comes across. You know, read Luke 1, 1 to 4. That, those four verses, the introduction, the prologue to the Gospel of Luke, is really good. It is very well written, even in English. Uh, it, it's even better in Greek. It's, hmm. it's just good writing. Yeah, that's interesting. I, you, you closed your sermon with the, uh, the whole uh, story of David Hume going and visiting um, George Whit- Whitfield? Whitfield. Whitfield. Mm-hmm. And uh, for some reason, in my mind's eye, I was thinking of Theophilus maybe <laughs> watching yeah. you know, Paul preach and thinking, what is this all about? Yeah. And sending Luke as someone mm-hmm. to go out and do the investigation for him. Because yeah. these books were not cheap to, to, no. to do, were they? I mean, Luke, Luke traveled for years. Yeah. Uh, so this isn't, again, Luke doesn't have Google. Luke is not able to sit down and do this research in a library. I mean, libraries existed, mm-hmm. but they don't have any of this. This stuff is either it's not been written yet or, or they're, they don't have access to it. There's a copy of Paul's letter uh, to you know, the church in Corinth, it, and it's still in Corinth. So <laughs> the only way to get that is, and, and to read that is to go to Corinth. Right. So he's got to travel. He's got to book these boats, and he's got to you know, set sail. He's got to eat. He's got to have lodging somewhere. Again, all these life expenses. Um, you know, he's got to travel to where these people are after he researches and finds out where they are. Mm. Again, they he's not looking at their Twitter feed to find right. out where they are today. Right. Um, so he's got to, he has to hunt down Mary so that he can interview her, so he can write Luke 1 and 2. Do you think Paul is with him story. during these times? This- they are together at the, at the end of the book right. of Acts. So how do you yeah. think Paul and Luke, do you think they met through Theophilus? It certainly could have yeah. been. Uh, As Luke is taking account of things, yeah. he bumps into Paul. Yeah, and he's, he, he's off, and uh, I mean, he, he has likely searched for Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul's well-known, and, and rightly so. And he joins Paul on the journeys. Gets taken up by the gospel, yeah. obviously. And, and how cool that is. I mean, to be, again, th- th- there are great stories when, when Luke switches from they to we. Uh, and, and you notice it clearly mm-hmm. when you're reading through the, the book of Acts, you, he's there. So when he's writing this account of what happened, he's there. Th- this isn't what someone else has told him. Right. He's the eyewitness testimony. So it's not he's trying to find an eyewitness. He is the eyewitness right. and how great that is. Yeah. I think this is a good, uh, a good place to stop. I mean, this is a... Yeah. Uh, I think we've set the stage of what's getting ready to happen, um, what did happen, mm-hmm. why it's important that the, the, the book of Acts is written. So I, I think this is a great place to close this part, and um, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I, I think it'll be great. You know, the Acts 1, 1 to 11 is a great introduction mm-hmm. to uh, the book of Acts. It lets us know what's coming. You know, Acts 1, 8, uh, several scholars would say it's the core verse of the whole book. Uh, again, it sets the outline for, for the whole thing uh, going. And they do it. They, they get that done by the power of the Holy Spirit that falls in Acts 2. They get this done. Acts 1-8 comes true in every sense and, of the word. And this is going to be interesting because yeah. uh, first part is the, the, uh, the disciples are kind of bumbling yeah. morons. And all of a sudden they get this power. Yeah, uh, isn't it funny when you finish reading the gospel accounts, 
you don't really have a high opinion of, mm-hmm. of the disciples. Yeah. I mean, these guys are, are goofballs. And Peter, oh, for crying out loud, Peter uh, you know, can't keep his mouth shut and blurts and, and all of that. But then when the book of Acts opens, these Some guys changes. are they're brilliant theologians, powerful preachers, and, and they, they're successful. Mm-hmm. They get this thing done. How did they do that? Because Acts 1-8 is true. They receive power when the Holy Spirit falls on them, as you receive power, when he came upon you at, at your conversion, uh, power to get this done, um, how incredible that is. And we're, we're simply going to join them on their journey uh, for the next couple of years as the church starts and goes through all of these challenges all the way to the end where the gospel is unhindered uh, in, in its work. And because the gospel is unhindered in its work, we sit here today as believers because their efforts that began here uh, in Acts 1 eventually made its way to people who love us dearly, who shared this same gospel with us centuries later uh, as the the global movement of Christianity truly became global and and went around the entire world. Um, And we're beneficiaries of that reality. Absolutely. Ian, this was fun. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you.